Great. So we're going to pick up uh, just our journey through Mark chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to uh, verse 21. It will also be up on the screen, and you can follow along. All right. So verse 21. This is Jesus and his disciples. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all surrounding region in Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. With Simon's mother, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve him. And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we, we thank you for uh, this moment to gather together as your church. Uh, come, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for Uh, Just just a reminder of this kingdom story that is unfolding right now in this part of our city that we get to be part of it. And we just pray for your protection over our minds and thoughts. And yeah, God, we worship you, Lord. As we come into your presence, we thank you for who you are. Christ, be magnified, be exalted in this place, we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, where we left off was... uh, Uh, looking at the story how Jesus uh, announces the kingdom of heaven, right? And Paul reminded us how this uh, future kingdom, so often we can think about the kingdom of heaven as this idea that it's, you know, something that will one day happen, right? We just kind of need to get through now to one day get to the point where uh, we have this future kingdom. And in some ways, that's true. It will come in completion and in fullness one day when Jesus returns, what we read about in Revelations, a new heaven and a new earth. But what, ha- what happened, what we learned last week, is that this future kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is already breaking through into our current pre- present age, right? Uh, remember, we said that thing of we kind of live in this overlap. Jesus' first coming uh, and Jesus' second coming will bring his kingdom to in fullness. And we live in this overlap of these two kingdoms, the future kingdom breaking through into our day to day, right? It's light coming into darkness. And Paul told us how Jesus came, and he came as a suffering servant. And how many people would have said, hey, is this the promised Messiah? Is this the prophesied Messiah? People were uh, expecting him to come as this, uh, this uh, you know, guns-blazing army general that would come and rescue his people. And so they see this man, this coming, you know, as a baby, this meek servant who lays down his life. And we get this picture of this upside-down kingdom, how that um, amazingly, is the very way that Jesus calls people and brings people to himself by laying down his life, right? And we see Jesus call his first disciples, right? And we've had a look over the last little while what it means to be a disciple. 
that word Talmudin in Hebrew, which means uh, to be an apprentice. Uh, to be an apprentice of Jesus meant that you uh, ordered your life around three goals, okay? And I'm sure you've heard those three goals so much this year already, but it is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and ultimately do what Jesus did, okay? And so what, we, what we're looking at today, the verses that we just read, is really a 24-hour period of just this kingdom on display, in a sense, examples of what this kingdom looks like the power of Jesus breaking through into darkness. And ultimately, if we think about the idea of in the midst of the busyness of our lives in the city that God is drawing us to create space to practice His presence, to ultimately be changed by Him, to, in a sense, do the things that He was doing, right? What we do here to operate in just this power and authority that we read about earlier, Okay. And so we're going to just have a look at uh, just these couple of verses that we read about, and ultimately we come to face-to-face with the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus. We see Jesus uh, teaching with authority like no one else had taught before. People are amazed. They're astonished, right? We see Jesus uh, casting out demons, right? This moment in the synagogue where this man just, um, you know, there's this demonic voice comes through this man. Hugh Ghostbusters theme, all right? It's amazing, and Jesus just casts out this demon, um, and we see, uh, we see Jesus healing um, many people. But ultimately, we, we confronted with the authority of Jesus. We see that word being mentioned twice in the scriptures that we read, right? The authority of Jesus. And so I want to point out just a few things about this word authority. Ultimately, authority calls for submission, okay? And I know in a church like ours where there's quite a lot of millennials and young people, you know, that very word submission um, is probably something that uh, maybe just is stirring up a little sense of, uh, you know, panic in your life right now as you sit here, right? The idea of authority and submission. It's um, potentially a word in our culture that's it's a dirty word. It's, you know, it, it, it potentially has all kinds of connotations to it. Uh, maybe for you, there's a fair amount of suspicion around this word of uh, authority and submission, um, we've definitely had our fair share of, of bad examples of authority, haven't we? You, know, you think about apartheid, and uh, you think about the widespread corruption that we've seen in places of leadership. You think about the, the hashtag MeToo movement that we've seen globally, right? There's been real abuses of um, authority, p- people in places of leadership, corruption in places of leadership. Think about this. Think about the leaders that you've, that you've had in your life. You know, I know for uh, one that I've worked in places where there is bad authority you know, in that workplace, and as a result, the culture seems to be like fear-driven. It's almost like a top-down, um, just bad authority in a place of work, and, and the culture is just, is just bad. And I've worked in places where there's good authority, Right? There seems to be servant-hearted type of leaders in the place of work, and as a result, there seems to be a flourishing in that place of work. Right? So people are either happy and fulfilled where authority is working well, and their lives are often filled with anxiety and stress where it's not working well. Right? And the same goes for, for many other spheres in life, families, government. So much of our day-to-day sense of peace right, can come from uh, our confidence in our leaders. And it's lost when we lose that sense of confidence. We recognize that good leadership is essential to human flourishing. Right? Think about this. Think about the fact that we live in a hyper-individualistic 
um, society, city that says, hey, prize the individual at the expense of community, at the expense of commitment. Um, the very idea of authority goes against our idea of what it means to be free, right? That you decide what is true for yourself, okay? Freedom means the absence, actually, of any external type of authority coming into your life, the, this very idea of what it means to submit, okay? So fair enough, you might be sitting here and you might be there might be a little bit of a reaction in your life as we speak about, you know, the authority that we see on display here and the fact that Jesus calls for submission. Because in the Bible, we come face to face with Jesus, with this authority figure. You think about the names that Jesus has. He's uh, Messiah, right? The promised one, the Prince of Peace. He brings his kingdom. The kingdom has a king. And he makes demands on your life. He makes total and absolute demands on your life, on who you are as a person, on every area of your life. Jesus says, follow me, right? It wasn't a democracy for Jesus and his 12 disciples. He didn't say, come guys, let's just form a little bit of a scrum. We can figure out everyone's got equal input. Let's just, you know, do this thing together. Jesus said, follow me, right? Look to me. That's what it meant to be a Messiah and to have apprentices, People ordered their life. They just wanted to be like Jesus, right? They wanted to think like him. They wanted to be like him. They followed him 24 hours a day. They were with him to become like him as an authority figure, right? They submitted to his authority. And Jesus is ultimately the, you know, he's the ultimate authority figure, isn't he? That he is above all creation, above all humanity. And Colossians 1, that says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And very often, you know, okay, we painted, you know, authority as how we may think of it as, a, as bad, but sometimes we, we may even see authority that we think, okay, it's, 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 this could be a good authority, but we tend to um, keep it at a distance, right? We admire it from a distance, but don't let it get too close, and um, don't let it encroach on my, on my freedom, right? And so we're confronted with the authority of Jesus, and, uh, but what we do see, and what I want to show you tonight, that this is a good authority, Right, this is an authority that brings freedom. And so we're going to just look at three things about Jesus' authority. First is this, that his authority is attractive, it's powerful, and it brings freedom. So the first one, authority is attractive. Right, let's have a look at how the story begins. Jesus uh, went with his disciples to Capernaum. Let's have a look at that next slide. Capernaum is an actual place, okay? Uh, it's amazing. It's on the sea uh, of, beside the Sea of Galilee. It's a small seaside type uh, of village, as you can see there, right? That's about as big as Capernaum was. And so Jesus goes there with his disciples, and uh, it's Sabbath. So they actually go into the synagogue. You can just show that next slide. This is the synagogue um, as it stands today. Hey? Okay, so who's the person you might ask in the picture? This is a photo taken by a guy by the name of Luke Harbour who leads the South Penn congregation, right? So this is a person that we actually know who went, to, um, who, who went to the synagogue. This isn't just a photo that I got from the internet, which is amazing, right? But that's the synagogue. And so they go to the synagogue uh, on Sabbath, which is something very ordinary that uh, if you were Jewish that you would do, you would go to the synagogue on uh, Sabbath. Um, they're basically going to church, much like what we're doing here today. But then, in, in the midst of the ordinary, something extraordinary happens, doesn't it? Jesus stands up and begins to teach. And what you see about him is that uh, he teaches like no one else, right? They were astonished at his teaching. That's what the scripture says. 
And something we need to understand about the context is that there were men in Jewish society uh, back then known as scribes. These were uh, guys who would copy the Old Testament law. Um, they were learned men. They um, had the best places of honor. They were respected in the Jewish community. You know, they would probably come and you know, they would be sitting up top there in a sense, right, if we had church tonight. And as they walked in, we would all rise and, as they came. So these were respected men. They had, um, they, they had titles and, and, um, and they were honored in the Jewish um, in the Jewish community, right? And what people noticed was that those guys have all the honor partly because of their title and position and learning. But this guy who stands up and begins to teach, this Jesus, has something very unique, right? When we listen to Jesus, it's like he doesn't need the title and he doesn't need people to stand for him. There's something that is compelling us with a desire to listen to him, right? Uh, he didn't have to back up what he was saying with quotes by other scribes or rabbis or have philosophical statements, and which was often what the scribes had to do when they spoke. They had to back up everything they said with different uh, quotes. Now, there was something different about this man. And when he spoke, they were captivated by what he said. They say there's something different. And they sum it up in this word that he speaks with authority. He speaks with authority. Right? They were captivated. You think of some of the amazing speeches that we've heard, uh, you know, throughout history, some of those speeches we can actually, you know, go and listen to on YouTube, and I spent this week just listening to some incredible speeches. One was Nelson Mandela, 1994, right, in his inauguration, where he said this, he said, never, never, and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another. The, sh- the sun shall never set on so glorious human achievement. Let freedom reign. God bless Africa, Right? In that moment, you can imagine that he had a nation just captivated by, um, by those words. Right? Not only a nation, but uh, the world as well. You think about uh, Winston Churchill, right? World War II. You can imagine people just um, gathering around radios and hearing Winston Churchill say, like, we shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them in the fields. We shall fight them on the landing fields. We shall never surrender. It's my best Winston Churchill impersonation, which is not very good, but uh, you can imagine this guy is just, you know, the guys are sitting around the radio, they're just captivated by um, how this person is speaking, and I think it's a glimpse into what people must have experienced when they heard Jesus speak, and unfortunately, we don't know exactly what Jesus said, Um, and I think it's, you know, on purpose, John Mark writes this, uh, and he doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus said, because he wants to draw our attention to the person who is speaking the words. And when we read the Gospels, when we look at the Scriptures, we begin to see just how Jesus spoke and how he taught. And I just want to mention uh, four things. And the first one is this, that he had a personal authority. He had a personal authority. He knew who he was. Remember um, two weeks ago when Drew Murphy was here and he spoke to us about that moment where Jesus is baptized and there's a voice from heaven and God speaks and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Jesus wasn't trying to figure out who he was. He wasn't trying to determine his identity. He had a conviction around who he was, that he was the son of the living God. And uh, Jesus, uh, there's a couple of times, Paul mentioned it last week, where, where Jesus would often say, you've heard that it has been said, but I say to you, right? You've heard that it's been said by these scribes and by these people, but I say to you. That's a person who speaks with absolute conviction and authority and who knows who he is. 
Here's the second thing. He had, he had conviction, right? Total conviction about what he was saying. He absolutely believed every word that he spoke, okay? You know what it's like to hear someone who speaks with conviction when they speak just from their, just the very core of their being, right? It's compelling. And the opposite is true if you hear someone who speaks and there's a lack of conviction, there's uncertainty, and there's ifs and buts, and kind of left like, whoa, I don't actually know what to believe here. When someone speaks with conviction, it's, it's, a, it's an absolutely compelling thing. Right, here's, a, here's a third thing. His life was consistent with the things that he, taught, that he taught. It's called integrity. It's a beautiful thing, right? It means that there's a wholeness to your life, that your uh, outside matches what's going on inside of you. Jesus had perfect integrity, right? When you meet someone who has integrity, it's also it's a compelling and beautiful thing. And Jesus criticizes a lack of integrity. He says, woe to you, scribes, Right? You wash the outside of the cup, you're more concerned about the outside, keeping the outside of the cup clean, but inside you're filled with pride and greed and self-indulgence. And Jesus could criticize the scribes and the Pharisees because he was perfect, he had perfect integrity. How about this? He had an overwhelming love for the people that he preached to you, okay? You sense it when you're around somebody who, who loves you and is able to give you feedback and it comes from a place of love. It's different from being criticized, isn't it? Um, many years ago, I had a, just a leader in my life, a guy who led a church out in Somerset West called Peter Howard Brown. This guy was older, and he was just like big. And at that time, I was just kind of coming back into church, and I was like trying to like sort out my life. And I remember a few times, he would look me in the eyes, and he'd say, like, Jesus wants all of your life, right? And often you'd walk away from a conversation with Pete, and you'd feel like you'd been given a hiding, but you'd also been given a hug, Okay? <laughs> And, I, and, I, and I, I think that's what you would experience when um, Jesus spoke to you, right? And all these things form a, a kind of picture of the, the preaching we must have heard when Jesus spoke, that he had a certainty about who he was. He opened the scriptures and preached them as though he believed them entirely. His whole life backed up what he was saying. And most of all, he would look you in the eyes and every single word would just be, would have so much compassion as this man just spoke out of love towards you. And that's what we see happening in this synagogue, that people were astonished. They're like, we've never heard anything like this before. Someone speak like this before. And they're captivated by this man. And we know he's not, you know, he wasn't speaking about trivial things either, right? He's not a life coach trying to help you to be more productive at work. He's not giving investment advice. No, Jesus was speaking about life and death things, Right? And so he's got this conviction and this, and this authority to speak about massive things in people's life. And so we see this deep attraction to the authority of Christ. And that's what we see happening in Mark chapter 1 in, in, in uh, the synagogue. And it's what you feel when you experience Christ speaking to you. It's what you experience now, that attractiveness to um, the gospel. And sometimes when we open up God's word and it seems to grip your heart, right? When we gather together and we worship and we open up the word and we get together in life group and someone reads a passage of scripture or when we're in community and someone uh, tells you the truth of God or where the spirit of God just brings the truth of God to bear in your heart, we feel that sense of attraction to, to this man, Right? How do you hear Christ? You hear him through his word. You hear him through preaching. You hear him through spirit. You hear him through other believers. And how about this? Jesus, uh, 
before he ascends into heaven, he says, go and make disciples, and I am with you, right? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and behold, I'm with you till the end of the age. And that's huge, right? When Jesus calls you to come and follow him, it's not like he called, um, you know, the guys in their fishing boats and said, well, come and follow me, but, you know, just, you can just keep on doing what you're doing, just you know, like my Instagram posts every now and then. No, they left everything. They followed Jesus. Jesus calls us to come alongside him as he advances his kingdom. He calls us to share in this authority, right? As he says, go and make disciples. He says, I will make you fishers of men. In a sense, that word meant that he was saying, I'll make you like a rabbi. You'll become like me. You'll be able to you know, speak in this authority and speak with this truth, and you will be able to captivate the hearts and the minds of people through the truth that is in you, right? We're called to be a light that goes out in this, into this world. And so becoming, we, we've been chatting a, a lot around what it means to, you know, create space in our lives to be with Jesus, to experience his presence in the midst of the busyness to carve out space, right? And ultimately, that second goal was to become like Jesus. And Jesus begins to work in our hearts as we look to him, as we behold him, he begins to change us. And what happens? The same things. We grow in our identity, the conviction that we are sons and daughters. We grow in our conviction of the truth of the Word of God. We grow in our integrity, right? But what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to work from the inside and begins to change the outside, doesn't He? He begins to work in our hearts, and there's a, a change that we begin to see between our inside and our outside lives as He begins to change us. And we grow in our love and our compassion, the way that Jesus was able to speak with love and compassion. We, we grow in that, right? Okay, so his authority is attractive. Here's the second thing. His authority is powerful. All right, so there's this bizarre moment in a synagogue where Jesus is speaking, and this demonic voice comes through a man. You might be like, whoa, what's going on here? Verse 24, this demon says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Okay, so what's going on here? So first uh, of quite a few demonic encounters that we read about in Mark's gospel. In fact, when you read the gospels, you might be like, hey, why does there seem to be like demons under every rock and behind every tree and in every bush, you know? There's just demons all over the show, and Jesus is casting out demons. Um, and I, the answer is that, you know, Jesus comes into the world, and he's the light, right? It says that Jesus is the light that comes into the world, future kingdom breaking into the current uh, evil age, right? Jesus breaking into darkness. You think about it this way. Think about a National Geographic um, episode, right? It's a dark cave. Uh, there's bats all over the roof. Uh, you've got uh, cockroaches and insects on the floor. It's dark. There's rats and all kinds of horrible things in this cave. And then someone comes and just shines a spotlight, into this cave, and you just see things flying everywhere, and there's just movement everywhere you look. And the presence of Jesus is a little bit like that, isn't it, right? He's the light that comes into the world, and his presence creates a reaction. And so three things about this manifestation, right? It's disruptive, okay? Uh, the demon is filled with fear. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And the demon immediately recognizes Jesus. So he has a supernatural knowledge about who Jesus is. And it goes again to show that, hey, it doesn't help just to know about this man, Jesus, but Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the truth, but there's also the way, the way of what it means to follow him, to submit to this man. So we see this bizarre uh, thing happening in a synagogue, and the question is, where do we see this today? 
right? And it's a great question, guys. Where do we see this today? Uh, part of the answer is that, especially in, in, in Western culture, we don't see um, the world that we live in as a spiritual world. Right? Many other parts of the world in, um, in the East, uh, they're much more open to the reality that, hey, there's a spiritual realm, there's a spiritual world. But in the West, over the last you know, couple of uh, hundred years or so, we've, you know, obviously we've grown in scientific advancement and um, we really see ourselves as much more objective. We uh, would rather see the world as a, as a machine uh, rather than um, having spiritual reality, that this world is rather just a, you know, some machine and there's just cause and effect um, rather than uh, that there's a spiritual reality to the world that we live in, Right? And it doesn't mean that spiritual realities are any less true in the West, in our society. It doesn't mean that spiritual realities are any less true than what we read about happening in the gospel. It hasn't stopped happening, right? It just means that we probably don't see it uh, as much anymore. We don't recognize spiritual um, realities for, for what it is. And probably you know, to the advantage of, um, of the demons and the devil and the supernatural, right? Because uh, we see ourselves as calm and collected and cool and advanced. Um, C.S. Lewis is, uh, wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, great book, which is about an older demon writing to a younger demon um, on how to stop a guy from becoming a Christian. And it's obviously just uh, in his mind, this is uh, fiction, but it really is so helpful. C.S. Lewis is so good with this. And he's got this quote. He says, there are two uh, equal and opposite errors into which our race, which is the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, right? And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and healthy interest in them. So C.S. Lewis says there's two errors. One is that, uh, you know, I've known a couple of you know, people in, um, who have just an unhealthy obsession with the supernatural and the occult and all kinds of things, and it's, it's on that side of the spectrum, right? But I think probably for us, most of us would, you know, fall into this category of uh, not really recognizing that um, spiritual activity when, when we may see it and feel the effect of it in our lives. And here's how it shapes us, that we can see the same effects of spiritual activity but completely not see it as related to spiritual work at all. Think of ourselves as cool, rationalist, objective people. But in some ways, I think spiritual explanations make a lot more sense, Right? Sometimes in our lives. Think about this. Think about how irrational resistance to Jesus can be sometimes. How uh, just the very mention of the name of Jesus can cause some people to um, become quite confrontational. I don't know if you've experienced this before. And I'm not saying that everyone who becomes confrontational, who's not keen to speak about Jesus, is demon possessed, right? But I'm saying, hey, you know, this could be a reality. I think, I mean, I had a really good friend. Um, who, when I came kind of to faith and, and back into church, who got quite upset that I was coming to church. And he, uh, he once sat me down and he gave me Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. He's like, just, you know, come right. What's wrong with you? You know, read this book. I beg you to read this book. And I was, you know, when I wanted to share, he would become, he would shut me down. He would become quite confrontational to the point where he said, hey, we can't be friends anymore. And I have to ask myself, is that always just natural? Is that just a natural phenomenon? Or could it be that there are spiritual elements at play when we see things like that? Because when I look at the gospel, right, it seems to me that, yes, we do see quite a lot of resistance to Jesus in the scriptures, okay? Think about this. Think about the 
just how much debilitating mental illnesses there are around us, right? And we have to obviously be very careful here when we talk about things like this. We never, ever want to give the idea that all um, kind of mental illnesses or um, like those kinds of struggles are spiritually caused. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tease these things apart because we're spiritual in nature. We're spiritual beings, okay? And so why can't it be that sometimes that there are spiritual um, you know, effects or impact in um, these kinds of situations? Why should we assume that everything has a natural explanation, right? Just the firing of chemicals in our brains. We know that we are spiritual beings. And maybe, hey, it seems to me that maybe we're just a little bit too quick just to say that everything is, um, can, be, can be, you know, everything can be explained as natural and physical. And, and it seems to me that in the Bible, there are often people who have debilitating captivity in their minds. Now, the friend who had a battle with, uh, you know, depression and just chatting to that person, just, um, just hearing how it was a battle that was, yes, there were professionals and medication and, and, and amazing people helping that person, but it was also a spiritual battle, right? It was also a spiritual battle, and it's good for us to be aware of this. Think about this. Think about your own experiences with persistent temptations, Right? in areas of your life. Why is it that you hate certain things but return to them again and again? You feel like there's an attraction. You're drawn to them. Couldn't it be that there is um, spiritual activities at work that we do not give appreciation to? And so those are just a few potentially subtle examples of how this uh, can affect our lives and people uh, in our lives. And, of course, there's still examples of what we see happening in the synagogue as well today. Uh, I chatted to Ange Bain, who works in IY and teaches um, uh, just you know teenagers to become baristas. But there's also a discipleship element to it. And she just mentioned to me, you know, that there's been a few times where she's um, you know prayed for people, and there's been an actual response. One guy that she prayed for, um, she didn't know at the time, but he had um, just people in his family who were witch doctors, right? And he, there was a response. And Angie is amazing, though, you know. She just stood in authority, and in Angie's words, you know, the Holy Spirit clapped that demon. <laughs> you know? Well, then, Angie, what a legend. And that's one of many. I mean, you go chat to Angie. You want to know more about that? Go grab Angie after the meeting. Go speak to her. I remember three years ago when we planted this church. I remember one Sunday. It was about 20 minutes before uh, the service started, and there was a, a lady uh, that I didn't recognize. She was standing just outside here. And uh, I went, someone just said, please, don't you just want to go pray with the lady, with that lady? And I went and I prayed with her. And I haven't had much experience, you know, as much as Ange in, this, uh, in, this, in these types of, types of things. But this woman just started, you know, she started convulsing in a sense. And I was like, whoa, you know. It's like, Jesus, take the wheel, <laughs> you know, come help. But I just prayed for this woman, you know, and, and, and um, it's amazing. But what we see here is just how, how Jesus just, you know, has authority over this stuff. He has absolute authority. And we see it in these scriptures, right? how Jesus just swiftly, effectively, powerfully um, deals with this. You see this demon reacting in fear towards who the person of Jesus is because he has total and absolute authority over this. And, and Mark wants us to see that as he writes this, that right from the start that Jesus has authority over evil, Yes, there is evil. Yes, it has the potential to affect our lives. But the coming of Christ changes everything, right? 
It's a battle between God and evil. Christ comes and we see that his power and his authority in the battle is absolutely unmatched. And Jesus, there's that word rebuke, right? And that re- word rebuke actually means to be brought into submission. Jesus has the power to bring into submission. And we see just his kingdom advancing. There's one final word on just um, on this, um, you know, that Jesus' authority is powerful. Um, just on this idea that this person is in the synagogue and he has a reaction. There's almost a reaction to the person of Jesus, to authority of Jesus. And here's the thing. The authority of Jesus is a threat. Okay? If you have got areas in your life, in your life where you're saying, hey, Jesus, you, you know, this thing of church, great. You can be the king of that. But when it comes to my career, when it comes to my finances, I just want to keep you at bay. You know? I think I know best this area of my life. And sometimes there may even be that same kind of experience of fear when we are confronted with the kingship and authority and the power of Jesus because he makes absolute claims on your life. He makes an absolute claim on your life, right? Calls you to follow him. And here's the thing, that his authority is good. His authority is good and his authority brings freedom. That's my third point. His authority brings freedom. It's transformative you can change your life. His authority and his power carry with it the potential to change your life. Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so look at verse 29. What do we see? Immediately, Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. You see how? The authority of Jesus comes into your life, and he wants to bring transformation. And I want us just to pick out just a few things about what we see here, right? One is that it almost seems quite mundane and unimpressive. The first miracle that Mark actually records is a woman basically with a high temperature, right? That in today's day and age, you know, Christine could have just given her two panados and she would have been sorted out. And and it's amazing because it speaks about the authenticity of the scripture of, of what is actually happening here. This is the same Jesus who raises people from the dead. If Mark wanted to try and convince us, right, about who Jesus is, and if he was making up the story, he would have said, yeah, Jesus came and he raised like hundreds of people from the dead. But instead, he's, you know, there's Peter. He's got a mother-in-law. He's married. You know, at the time of writing this, he said, you can probably go track her down and ask her about this. But she had a high fever. She was in bed. And Jesus came and he healed her. And you see how just his authority, you know, moves into the mundane, that Jesus is, is interested even in the mundane things in your life, right? And you see how his authority is so gentle. At times when, you know, Jesus speaks in fierce language, we think about him in the church and as he drives out those, um, those marketplace sellers. And, uh, but yeah, most of the time what we see that Jesus, his authority comes into your life the way that it comes into the life of Peter's mother-in-law, Right? He comes and he takes her by the hand. He lifted her up. He's so gentle, right? It's wordless. He simply wills her to be well. And it changes her life. Her life has changed. We read how she begins to serve Jesus and his disciple, that his authority comes into your life and it brings freedom, brings a reordering of the loves in your life, and you begin to serve Jesus. And there's a lot that we can obviously unpack here as we uh, look at the healing that 
took place, right? And we um, don't have time to do an exhaustive, you know, exposition of, of healing and what that entails, but all to say that Jesus is, he has authority, right? We see him uh, being approached by, um, by, by, who was he approached by? We see him being approached by Peter, right? So Jesus wants us to approach him and to bring these things. They bring this request that his mother-in-law is ill, and we see him healing people. And in all these passages, I want to just remind us that we, we, we see Jesus' authority on display, and there's an invitation to lean into Jesus in different circumstances in our lives, to turn to him, right? As we heard last week that Jesus uh, calls us to repentance, to look to him, as he says his kingdom is at hand, to repent of our sin, to look to him. And so we deal with sin and shame by turning to the one who has authority to forgive Right? He has authority over sin and death. He laid down his life. He's paid the penalty for our sins. It's done. It is finished. And so we lean into his grace right? when we're faced with sin and shame. We deal with evil by turning to the one who has authority over all e- evil. Right? We don't stand on our own authority, but we stand on the authority of who Jesus is. And we resist it and rebuke it. And we deal with brokenness and we deal with sickness by turning to the one who is our comforter and our healer. The one who is not only powerful but is also compassionate and who has empathy, who understands our pain and our struggle, right? Who knows what it's like to live in a body just like ours. You know that Jesus goes on to be crucified to that cross. He knows what it's like to be in a broken body. And so we lean into Jesus for um, different reasons. And just speaking about healing, we were away on Friday night, all the, um, all the common ground, the leadership, the, 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 the citywide elders, and um, there's a guy, Terry Virgo, some of you may have heard him speak, and, and he prayed for guys, for their backs to be healed, and we saw people being healed, right? And so it's happening today, guys, I want us to, to raise our faith levels, to know that, hey, this is happening, that there's this kingdom uh, story that is unfolding, and the enemy's greatest weapon is to keep our eyes just focused on this, you know, our circumstances, to be unaware of the actual power that is ours in Jesus Christ, the authority, as Jesus says, I'm with you, right? I love that picture when we planted this church. Ollie once, uh, he had a picture, he just, he, that sea point is, you know, there's darkness, and we've got this church on a Sunday night, and he just had this, this picture of light in the midst of darkness, and we as people, we carry that light and we go out into darkness. And we go into our places of work and we take this message of hope and we believe that the, that the gospel is powerful, friends. Changes lives, right? And so I want to call us. I really feel like um, that the Holy Spirit wants to raise our confidence levels today to remind us of the hope and the power that we, that we live in. We're going to create some space now just to respond. I'm going to invite Polly and the band up. I'm going to invite you to stand. Sorry. And it would be a shame to have a message like this and not to create some space for prayer, right? We believe that prayer is powerful. And so, um, so as we worship, there's going to be a bunch of us up front here. And uh, I want to invite you if, you, if you want prayer for anything tonight... If anything that I've mentioned has just stirred up something in your heart, then I invite you to come up for prayer. Maybe you just want to close your eyes just for a moment. I just want to lead us in a time of response. 
No. I want you to just think about this question, right? In what area of your life do you need to lean into Christ tonight? Are you feeling the weight of just sin and shame? Do you need to lean into His authority to forgive you? Do you need to lean into His grace tonight? That His mercy and His grace is new for you here tonight, right? Right? Are you facing just potentially the, the impact of just evil in your life? Maybe just what it means to return to something and you hate it, and, but you just keep on going back to it again and again. You need to lean into the sovereignty and the victory that Christ has over sin, right? That is victorious. Lean into his victory. Or maybe you're facing just sickness and brokenness. Or maybe you're just facing just physical pain. Or you know someone who's facing physical pain. And tonight you just need to lean into the fact that he is our healer. He is our comforter. He is powerful. And he calls you to lean into his grace tonight, right? And so we're going to worship. We're going to sing. But I want to encourage you just to to not miss out on this moment, that there'll be a few of us up here and we'd love to pray with you, but let's respond in worship and then we'll land.